And I have great news. Today, we are revisiting an old friend from a past episode. We're revisiting Mr. Jack Parsons. Oh, well, I remember freaking out about him last time because I realized he was involved somehow very distantly in Project Pegasus. Okay. I'm excited to learn more about him today besides my own fun fact. (laughs) We're full of fun facts today. I cannot wait to tell you. We often talk about occult groups or spiritual events that include certain people Mm -hmm. like Jack Parsons. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we need to get a little more personal and kind of dive into their life and figure out who they are. Always happy to get a little too personal. What? (laughs) What does that mean? Em and I are nothing if not nosy. (laughs) Jack Parsons is an interesting guy. If you remember him from our episode about the Babylon working experiments, Mm -hmm. let's talk about his Instagram bio. I like to do this, as you know, just like picture a modern day version of someone Mm -hmm. from the past. I guess you could call him an occult rocket scientist is one way to put it. Yeah, I do like that. Yeah, I notice you've already changed your own Instagram bio to that within the last four seconds that we've been talking. Okay, well, these fingers aren't running anywhere, but they they (laughs) might change it by the end. You know what I'm saying? Okay, well, I need you to hit edit profile again because another name that he sometimes went by was the James Dean of Chemistry. (laughs) Okay, that one's a curveball. That one's <laughs> one's a curveball. That one's letting me know to not know what to expect for the rest of this journey. I think it's just as mysterious as he is. It really fits the bill. So if that gives you any indication of this guy and how interesting he is, we're going to get into it and dissect his background a little more. Can't wait. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rituals, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm Christine Schieffer. And I'm M. Schultz. And every week we'll explore the evolution of spiritualism and the occult through stories, practices, and the impact on modern culture. We're talking Mr. Parsons today. We're going to learn all about his pretty bananas background and then ultimate like demise. It's a roller coaster. I was just excited the last time we mentioned him because I know he's also, well, I remember the Parsons lab Right. I remember you having like a mind-blowing experience. Don't worry. I'll get into it. Okay. I remember it as well. It was a very embarrassing moment when two pieces clicked. I'm no rocket scientist like this guy. <laughs> like two pieces clicked and I went, oh, I get it. And we'll definitely get into that. Okay, perfect. Well, then quickly, let's crack into it so uh, we can humble Christine. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. 
run your way. Jack Parsons sort of found his passions early in life. He basically found his passions early and then like ran with them. I feel like the answer for you is similar as far as how early in your life you remembered becoming aware of like being interested in something that you kind of took forward. And to me, for you, that's ghosty experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Instagram bios, you know how like Instagram pet people, they're like, I don't know if I found him or he found me. Right. Who saved who? (laughs) I feel like that's kind of the chicken or the egg with my interest in ghosts. It started happening to me in my life before I was even aware. You didn't seek it out. Yeah. Yeah. It was so fascinating from the start that I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to definitely get obsessed with this. So that was when I was seven, at least. And I actually, in hindsight, remember earlier experiences back to when I was like three or four. But I think that's the only like consistency I've ever had in my life. I feel like every week is a new adventure with me. So do you have any actual like passions that have stuck with you? I mean, along that same vein, I feel like true crime found me, unfortunately, Mm. before I found it. (laughs) That's true. You've been through a lot. So in that we had quite a few, you know, break ins and fun stuff like that, which I think caused maybe a slight fixation on understanding crime and, you know, getting a better grasp on it. And, you know, I've had a Ouija board under my bed since I was probably four. Before I could even really speak English, I was probably doing it in German. God. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be a long session to spell out one word. So since we were four, you know how, like, they had the Looney Tunes and then they had Tiny Toon Adventures and it was like the prequel to all their antics. I feel like the fact that four-year-old you was doing a Ouija board and four-year-old me was experiencing ghosts in the house. It's like our prequel, our origin stories before we cross paths yeah, yeah, years yeah. later. And then yeah. the ensemble cast really came through eventually with all the ghosts <laughs> we discuss. And anyway. Oh, well, Parsons was a co-founder of what would come to be known as the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, the mm-hmm. JPL, which is a research and development lab funded by NASA today. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I don't know this about you. I know this about our producer, one of our producers, Eva, mm-hmm. um, on our other show. But do you follow NASA at all? I know Eva's a big space person and yeah, I love space too, but I wonder where you stand. Oh, I was going to say, I think the closest... To space I've gotten is with Eva when we built a space camp for her. Right, exactly. Yeah. But uh, no, I know about the pictures and I think they're fascinating, but I think my little human pea brain is not comprehending how amazing they are. I mean, they look cool and I've heard like the, oh, each of those is a galaxy and a little grain mm-hmm. of rice analogy. But like if I were like Neil deGrasse Tyson, my brain would be exploding right now at how cool <laughs> they are. That's not my experience right now. I dove into it. I went into kind of a little deep dive and spend an hour just like blowing up the photos on my computer and like zooming around and just being overwhelmed, overstimulated. <laughs> I love space stories. I'm just fascinated by it. They terrify me, but I'm fascinated, which I guess is kind of the same for all of these topics we discuss about. Anytime I have let myself deep dive into the world of space science or even there have been a few times on and That's Why I Drink where I've stumbled into astrophysics. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. Anytime I've let myself really fall down the rabbit hole. It is fascinating. I think I'm just overwhelmed that it's something I'll never be able to fully sure. understand unless I was literally like a rocket scientist or quantum astrophysicist. Like I'm already aware that like 
there's too much. <laughs> yeah, all. I understand. I mean, it's very overwhelming, I yes, would say. definitely. We had those little Skylab or Starlab things when we were kids oh, where you lay in yeah. it and they inflated it and you would just stare at the sky. And I just remember being like so overwhelmed that I think the rest of the day I would just kind of stare off into the distance. I am impressed with the amount of toys that like, I guess like NASA isn't producing them, but I think NASA could actually get in on the toy merchandise for children and really expand. I think they might be because even I went to the, was it Huntsville Mm -hmm. Rocket Center and they had one of the most impressive gift shops I've ever seen. So I think they are pretty much doing their part on it. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're on it. I think they're on it. (laughs) All right then. I know you mentioned the laboratory. Do you remember anything else about Jack Parsons' life or career from when we last discussed him? I know he was he was like part of like a magic sex and had like a moon baby. <laughs> OK, it sounds like you're having a bad dream, but you are right on the mark. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was like, are the words coming out of my mouth going to make sense or no? <laughs> you are right on track, even though it sounds like you fell off the track and tumble downward into <laughs> if I just like fell down the stairs and started talking <laughs> that's what it sounds like you started using my German Ouija board but really <laughs> what you're saying does make sense okay I mean the context of this story so we're gonna meet Jack Parsons a little better and I think the first thing you need to know is that his real name was Marvel okay <laughs> oh, already I signed out well that's amazing like That's amazing. As a big Marvel fan. Yeah, he stole your future child's name, which is unfortunate. But also like, okay, you go from something like Marvel that he picked Jack? What? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I actually have that information here. Okay. So his name was Marvel Whiteside Parsons when he was born in 1914, and he was apparently named after his father, Marvel. But his dad cheated and left the family. And so Marvel decided to start going by John instead, or Jack as a nickname. He really ran away from any unique name. He was like, all of it reminds me. Yeah, he didn't want to be a Marvel like his dad. So he started going by John, which is interesting because it's not even like his middle name or anything. But right. Also, why not? (laughs) The fact that there's two human beings out there who have been named Marvel is like so cool. (laughs) And then he just cut that. He was like, no, no more. Yeah, I'm going to be adding it to my baby list just so we're clear. I'm surprised it's not on there already. It's on my future pet name list, but we'll shift it over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say it's a historic name if anyone asks. (laughs) It's an occult rocket scientist. It's a family name. Yeah, ever heard of him? Like, wow, someone is out of touch. (laughs) (laughs) So despite having a deadbeat dad, Jack was well off from the start. He was actually born into a wealthy family in Pasadena, California, who lived on Millionaire's Row, Mm -hmm. which we discussed in that last episode where we talked about Jack. But it is basically the exact kind of neighborhood you think it is. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is where he grew up. So as a kid, Jack really loved science fiction. He got very interested in rocketry. And in his teens, he actually began amateur rocket experiments with one of his friends, Edward S. Foreman. And the two of them would be, you know, side by side through a lot of life together as the years went on. Cool. While Parsons was at the University of Southern California, he and Foreman heard about a rocket propulsion and high-altitude rockets project at the California Institute of Technology, a.k.a. Caltech. And somehow, despite being in college still, they convinced the director of Caltech's Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory, who was also, by the way, one of the world's leading scientists, to let them work on the project. I don't know how they convinced him to let them in the lab for this, but... 
they must have been very convincing. Yeah, very catch me if you can or right? something. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. What were they doing? I don't know. Presented their sex magic theory. I have no idea. They must have wowed this guy, <laughs> though, because he let them in. Just for a more modern reference, very Nancy and Robin and Stranger Things, if you know uh, what I'm saying. If you've watched the <laughs> most recent season, you know what we're talking just about. Just try to just shove your little crushes in wherever I can. That's Thank all. you. You're I welcome. also love Leo DiCaprio. So you know what? You've hit all, all three. three. <laughs> all three. The triad, as I call them. <laughs> I hope they're in a text with each other. They're they're in a group <laughs> chat together called The Triad. They just talk about you. They just talk about me and how much I'm just fangirling all the time. Halloween 1936, the group working on that project all went out to the Arroyo Seco, which is a dry canyon wash in Pasadena. And there they tried to test a rocket motor that they had built. And with that test, they essentially launched, so to speak, the start of rocketry in California. Big moment. And Mm. on Halloween, so it becomes spooky. Spooky. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who'd have thunk? His interests are colliding. Mm -hmm. Hopefully not colliding in actuality, but just (laughs) metaphorically. Like two rockets in the sky. (laughs) By the following year, 1937, the group, which the LA Times, by the way, called the Rocketeers. Yeah, that's so sweet. Isn't that nice? I really like that nickname. They had lab space at Caltech, but they had become destructive, let's put it that way. (laughs) They were (laughs) experimenting with explosives, so you can only imagine how messy things got. (laughs) Yeah. If you're just giving random people, now with a team name, access Mm. to a a bunch of rockets for testing, it's not going to always land or be perfect. Yeah, exactly. And so at Caltech, after their second explosion, I guess they were given a pass after the first one, they were sent out of the lab and back to the Arroyo Seco. So like they were like, go outside, go play with your big rocket ships outside. (laughs) Get out of here. You're making a mess. Yeah. And so that's what they did. Several years later, things got more professional in 1941 when the Rocketeers founded the Aerojet Engineering Corporation. And this company would sell rockets to the U.S. military during World War II. So they were in the big leagues now, you could say. They went from just like things accidentally exploding to like, (laughs) oh, the military wants our stuff. Oh, World War II? Hey, we're in it. Yeah, yeah. But two years earlier... In 1939, and this is most relevant to our world, Parsons was introduced to the work of occult leader Aleister Crowley, Mm. our favorite. AC. AC. Crowley had made his way through many occult groups in his life by that point, and he had founded a system of beliefs known as the Thelema, which focused on the pursuit of each individual's will. Okay. So in 1949, Crowley was the leader of the Ordo Templi Orientis, the OTO. And they were this international secret society. And, of course, Parsons said, sign me up. I would, too. I would, too. I know. You have. You. I mean, you haven't signed up, but you've said, oh, sign me up. <laughs> I know. There was a whole Aleister Crowley episode. So yeah. sign me up. If you want to listen to me scream about it, you go check that episode out. <laughs> so Parsons joined the OTO's local group in Pasadena called the Agape Lodge Number no. 2 and started going to their meetings. And at his OTO meetings, Parsons witnessed rituals being performed, including the, quote, Gnostic Mass, which was reportedly an interpretation of the Catholic Mass. And I don't know if you remember this, 
I started reading these bullet points and went, oh, yeah, I recall there was this stage with an altar that had hieroglyphic patterns on it. And then there was this upright coffin and the group's leader would emerge from the coffin. It's just very showy. When I tell you there's nothing I remember better. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we spent way too long and it probably got edited down. But like we talked about how quickly we would have joined simply for the theatrics. The theatrics. Exactly. Yeah. We should just like take that and run for like our next big tour. Like honestly, you name it. We are willing to be a it. part of it until the sex magic. That's not really my vibe. You know, we both kind of stepped out at that point, I think. Yeah, we were potential interests. And then they took it too far, I think, with us. And we were like, never mind. We just took the part about the coffin and the theatrics and went home and, you know, messed around with that. The stage walk ons. That was all we really wanted. And then we took notes and we bowed out. Yep. (laughs) So the showmanship was next level at this thing. And like I said in that episode where we discussed this very Catholic ritual symbolic situation happening here, probably not so much Catholic. There was also a very highly charged sexual atmosphere, which is once again where things kind of took a turn. And you and I went, oh, (laughs) oh, okay, that sounds so great for you and wonderful for you. And I'm happy for you. And everyone has an interest, but that's not mine. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So on the scientific side of life in 1943, the Rocketeers group had a full circle moment when they formally became the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, a.k.a. JPL, which still exists today. And you can actually find the lab next to the Arroyo Seco where they pulled off their first rocket experiment, which is sweet. Nice. Yeah. Very symbolic and touching. Yeah. And at this point, if you can't tell, Parsons basically has two lives. Like, you know, the one half, he's like the sexual coffin showmanship. And then on the other side, it's like very precise, you know, literal rocket science. So he's kind of has two lanes going here at once. A true double life of like. Yeah. Logic and math and science and then magic Magic? and sin. sin. (laughs) I mean, it really is. There are two different lives going on at once. I don't know. I just wonder what his mind would have been thinking at this point. Is it like, I wonder if it was one of those moments of like trying to balance both and knowing something has to give or if he was like, no, I'm nailing this double interest thing. Like, I wonder, I wonder how he felt at this point. Yeah, part of me feels like maybe him being part of like the more occult group. I feel like he was just like letting his like logical brain take a break. He's like, mm. let me just lean into my interests and like put my thinking brain mm-hmm. on the side and just like feel like this was a feeling and the other part of his life was thinking. Like yeah. this part is spiritual. This part has a connection. This part doesn't have to make sense. On the flip side, maybe he was doing like the logical brain type of person thing. And he's trying to understand the magic behind all of this. And that's a good point. That's a good point. Like maybe he was trying to get to the bottom of it. And actually, I think we will touch on that a little bit. So Hmm. keep that thought in mind. Coming up, while his science career pays the bills, the occult side of Parsons' life grows even more. Until finally, it all comes together in one magical science experiment so eccentric, we already did an entire episode about it. We did, and it was (laughs) mighty strange. (laughs) It was out of this world. (laughs) Mighty strange indeed. You tell yourself it's only a movie. None of this could ever happen to you. You feel relieved. 
until you discover what you're watching is based on actual events. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa and Greg from the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. In our Halloween special, Real Horror, we're spotlighting three of the most iconic horror films of all time and telling the terrifying true stories that inspired them. Recovering the real influences behind characters like Ghostface from the 90s mega-hit Scream, Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill from the Oscar-winning thriller The Silence of the Lambs, and Leatherface from the 70s cult classic The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Enjoy Real Horror, the serial killer's three-part Halloween special. Listen to all three episodes the final week of October, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. By the early 1940s, Jack Parsons was both a rocket scientist and a rising occult star. So, I mean, best of both worlds. This is like a Hannah Montana situation. Just like. I'm glad you said it. That was about to slip out of my mouth. That's like where my mind went, like a rock star here and then just like in the lab over here, you know, a rocket scientist and stardom. Like what? (laughs) Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. (sighs) He and his friends founded the JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and the Aerojet Engineering Corporation and made deals with the U.S. military to develop new rocket technology and rocket fuel. Mm. This was, again, the big leaks. And wouldn't you know it, a bunch of scientists who had laughed at Parsons' work before this all of a sudden wanted to be part of it all. And Mm -hmm. ain't that just how it goes? Ain't that the pits? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Parsons was also moving up the ranks of this secret society he was in. So his other interest, his other lane of life, he's moving up in the ranks over here as well. The OTO, the Ordo Templi Orientis. And he eventually succeeds in becoming the group's chapter leader. Wow. He's just climbing, climbing, climbing. Success, success, success. Hmm. The two worlds started blending because apparently Parsons started bringing the occult to the workplaces. <laughs> so, oh. I mean, I have to imagine it was hard to keep those separate and they had to eventually, like I said, something's got to give. You know, eventually I feel like something had to kind of cross over. I guess that's true. I would also argue, though, like I would look at my life choices and be like the only reason both are doing so well is because they're keeping them so separate. So I feel like yeah. he was getting a little cocky or a little too comfortable and he was like oh i can start merging the two and it's like girl that has never happened before and we've been fine without it so exactly i think that's kind of what happened he maybe got a little too comfortable because he recited a pagan poem to ancient greek god pan while working on his rocketry experiments that'll do it (laughs) yeah that'll do it and No surprise here, of course, Parsons is making bank doing rocket science. He's Mm -hmm. making his living doing that. So he bought himself a nice big fancy mansion on, wouldn't you know it, Pasadena's Millionaire Row. That's where he grew up. Can you imagine getting to say you've lived on Millionaire's Row twice? And like, also, how nice, like, 
like if I think about moving back home, I'm like, oh, I have to move back to like Spotsylvania County, Virginia. He gets to move to Millionaire's <laughs> yeah, Row. Must be nice. Like, just for the nostalgia, not even because it's a mega mansion. You know, whatever. Just want to be near my parents, you know, yeah. as they age on Millionaire's Row. Something cozy, like 10,000 square feet. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> and then he moved not only himself, but the OTO's operations into his new house. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting into it here, into my shame, which is that the <laughs> residents nicknamed the house the Parsonage, which took me a little <laughs> too long. A little, and I was reading the notes to you. So I had already like read. You had said Parsonage a few uh, times. Many times. I was like, yeah, I guess yeah. we're not talking about it. OK. I had a lot of chances to kind of pick up on the pun uh, of the name. So Parsons, Parsonage get it i remember thinking why would they name it the parsonage i didn't get it obviously so i want to be clear i get it now so um it's hilarious i wonder he could have also done like the parsonon i think that'd been cool maybe parsonon the parthenon isn't that what one is isn't uh, like a play like okay let's move on quickly okay (laughs) (laughs) i was like a greek okay i'm not gonna go there So the house became a gathering place for both the scientific and occult circles. And so you're thinking about this party, or I'm thinking about this party, and having a grand old time picturing rocket scientists and guys who, on their average day, climb out of coffins for (laughs) magic rituals, just having a beer together. And the thought of it is beautiful. Well, see, I think it's the opposite. I'm imagining... Well, maybe he really is just trying to blend everyone in his life together. But I'm thinking, like, can you imagine hosting a party like this and trying to make sure, like, your two friend groups don't mingle? And, like... Oh, no. Like, imagine, like, Blaze. I'm using Blaze as the symbolism for rocket scientist. Blaze is Christine's husband, who is very (laughs) logical. not a rocket scientist. (laughs) No, but it works in medicine. It's very, like, sound and logic. Very right-brained, yes. Very right-brained. And then just meeting, like anyone that listens to either of our podcasts (laughs) and then it's just like i can't imagine like one of them is gonna eventually like back out and say they have to go to the bathroom you know yeah someone has forgot they didn't let their dog out earlier and has to uh run home (laughs) they have to go like wash their hair or something (laughs) do something do something a little bit less overwhelming than this party yeah i i don't know how it went but i guess all of them gathered there. So I have to imagine there was a little bit of crossover mm-hmm. between what I'm picturing men in lab coats and men in capes. I don't know. That's just how my mind perceives it. <laughs> lab- I'm sorry, but like it reminds me of the play Arsenic and Old Lace, but it's lab coats and capes. <laughs> lab coats and capes. It, yeah. I think I'm turning this into my own little fictional story. It's going to be minor on Broadway, but it will make a splash to some. It'll be so. off, 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 off yeah. Broadway, but it'll be good. It'll be good. So it turns out not everyone in the rocket business was fond of Parsons. I think we probably are not too surprised by that. They found him a little too weird or eccentric to keep working in this, like, obviously very scientific business. And there were allegations that he would also seduce Aerojet secretaries by inviting them back to the Parsonage for, let's say, shenanigans, Mm. some fun times. Yeah, a little, little sketch. By shenanigans, you don't know what that means in a place that's also hosting like sex magic. No, so you're, you're completely right. It could be a number of. Can things. you imagine that poor secretary? It's like her first week there, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> come back to my place," and she thinks it's for like drinks, and like it yeah. really could be 
moon baby. <laughs> yeah, no, really. Like it could be there's suddenly a coffin in the living room. And it's like, oh, I don't think I signed up. For I this. feel like with him, he has to show you on a scale like how crazy of a night he's looking for. You know, <laughs> today's like, only a six. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> he also apparently greeted other scientists at his front door with a snake around his shoulders, which is when M would say, so, actually, yeah. I forgot to wash my hair or my dog or whatever. I think out of my mouth, I'll like would be able to think is. Now that's a power move. Like <laughs> as you walk down the driveway back to your car. Yeah. I'd keep muttering it over and over down the driveway. Just that was a power move. That was one big power move. <laughs> that is one way to get M out the door fast. And it said he and Edward S. Foreman, remember the friend that he played with Rockets with when they were kids and his business partner, they would apparently hold duels on the rocket testing range. Mm. And they would shoot at each other's feet to make the other flinch first, which, oh, my God, that's it's something you could only do with like a lifelong best friend or a lifelong enemy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's only two possible. Nothing good comes from this as far as I'm concerned. But apparently they just had a great time. So it reminds me of like maybe they were trying to mimic like an old Western where it was like they're shooting at the floor and like trying to make people dance and all that horrible stuff. That's what I think of, too. I mean, what a sight to see that out in Pasadena. Just what a risky duo. (laughs) What a risky game. What a ragtag team. (laughs) What a team indeed. (laughs) Well, after a controversial explosion that Parsons caused, the FBI began investigating him as a possible security risk. And finally, I was going to say, I can only imagine this was a matter of time. In 1943, Parsons took the hint that the other scientists didn't want him around and he left the company. And at this point, he threw himself totally into the occult and his magic. Well, sure. Yeah, he's jumped ship on the rocket science. Now he is in it with the magic stuff. He's performing rituals that he learned from Aleister Crowley. He's now making up his own rituals. He's in it. He's on it. He's all about it. (laughs) So this is kind of where I feel like Jack Parsons becomes his own character, his own like um, legendary character in the world of the occult because he's not just participating in it, but he's making his own rules, his own rituals. He has this parsonage where they perform this stuff. I mean, he's making a name for himself in the occult world. But you kind of hinted at this earlier. Once a scientist, always a scientist. So his goal was to try to find physical proof that the magic he was performing was real. Mm. So it's sort of like he was not necessarily, I mean, we know that he combined both of his worlds, but at this point he's taking the science aspect of his old job and putting it into the kind of ritualistic magic world. I see. Well, also, yeah, if you were once spending 50% of your Mm -hmm. energy into science and now you can bring that 50% of energy into science into magic, of course you're going to combine them eventually. I feel like I saw that coming from a mile away. You did. You you called it earlier. And like the fact that he was already so good at being a rocket scientist, which I imagine to be a rocket scientist, you probably got to be pretty good at it. Yeah. And now he's using that here. So it's an interesting kind of combo. It's also worth noting, I will say, around this time that he was reportedly using peyote, mescaline, cannabis, opiates, and hallucinogens. And so, science. And science. <laughs> the power of science. I feel like at least one of the formulas he wrote down was misspelled. Like, I, <laughs> I don't think he was as sharp a shooter as he might have thought he was. Uh, I really hope they didn't play that shooting game while they were 
be using any of these, <laughs> but I wouldn't put it past him, honestly. Yeah, I know a lot of people when they like quit their job and they just kind of have like a week to just like go all out. Mm-hmm. I like to think that he was just like, let all my inhibitions go, you know? Absolutely. Just give it 110%. Yeah. Jump all in. <laughs> and indeed he did. But sadly, his big thinker mentality mixed with the need for scientific proof is sort of what made his life and career crumble. Mm. So let's go over Jack Parsons' downfall, which is never fun. But you know what? It's how it went. This is the story. So we got to cover it. As we covered on this show, in January 1946, Parsons held a series of ritualistic experiments that he called the Babylon working. And so mm-hmm. this is where we're getting into your ghost baby reference and all that business. <laughs> or moon baby? What did you call it? I keep saying different things. <laughs> oh, but you know what's so funny about moon baby is, didn't we nickname your baby the lunar something? Oh, lunar lemon. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, there's a wild gamut of options for a moon baby. Yeah. I mean, it could mean any number of things. And I said ghost baby, which actually is a bar in Cincinnati. So I feel like. Wow. Everyone's just taking names. People are loving this name, you know. So he calls this Babylon working. And his goal was to summon a spirit and using magic, turn this spirit into a tangible being. Mm -hmm. He essentially wanted to turn the Thelemic goddess of female sexuality, Babylon, into a real life human being. Uh Uh-huh. If you recall. I recall this being where I decided he was a full-blown toxic (laughs) male narcissist (laughs) following the patriarchy. This is where we said, oh, remember how we were out? Now we're out, out of this whole world. (laughs) We were on the soapbox and we were quickly off the soapbox and then we were back on just to scream about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, spoiler alert, Babylon working, wouldn't you know it, was not a success. And I know that's surprising to hear. But he did fail at this experiment. But you should definitely go listen to that episode to get all the details because it is a roller coaster Mm -hmm. of a story. A few months after the failed Babylon working experiments, Parsons was no longer Lodge Master of Agape Lodge Number 2. He then gave up the Parsonage, a very sad moment, I bet. And he moved out of his mansion and into a rented room over a garage. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. (laughs) Right? Like, it's just such a quick fall from grace. Mm-hmm. If that weren't enough, the FBI also added an investigation into him on suspicion of espionage working with communists, including allegedly at Caltech and cult activities. Ooh. I imagine that when they listed this out, he was like, no, espionage, no. Working with communists, no. Oh, cult activities. That one, that yeah. one that one's that fine. That one I'll admit to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like that is the least surprising of the accusations. Yeah, I'm a man of integrity, okay? I'm not here to putz around, but the cult thing is true. nothing else. It's true. (laughs) Communists, no way. But uh, yeah, I do kind of host sex magic rituals in my house. So this led to him having his government security clearance revoked. I imagine that's not a good feeling. Yeah, that had to hurt. Yeah, and so in order to make money, he worked for some local aviation companies and he bootlegged nitroglycerin. Oh, you know, we've all been there having to make a few bucks. <laughs> we, we've all uh, at least wondered what that life might be like. So, yeah. Paid the rent at Millionaire's Row by bootlegging some nitroglycerin, you know? Story of all of our lives. Yeah. You feel me? Yeah. It's yeah. the classic L.A. hustle. <laughs> um, so eventually he ended up creating pyrotechnics and explosives for movies. So that is kind of a fun L.A. <laughs> outcome. Well, you know, what's weird is that I used to work in props and there was a weird 
I don't know if stereotypes the right word, but it's kind of common knowledge that if someone's ex-government, especially like ex-military and like they've done a few tours, those people after they retire and they live in L.A. and they don't really know where to go next career wise, a lot of them go into pyrotechnics for movies because (gasps) they have such a niche understanding of like explosives and things like that. That's so interesting. And I bet they would know what looks real, what doesn't look Mm -hmm. real. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. Especially because we also in our office, we had like a whole weapons department where we had like a shooting range at the office. All these ex-military men would just come in and teach actors how to shoot guns so it looked realistic in the movie. Anyway, fun fact for you. Yeah, L.A. is really a wild place, I got to say. Yep. So eventually he's creating these pyrotechnics and explosives for movies. And this is his most recent (laughs) talk about like making inroads in different fields for himself. This Mm -hmm. is his most recent path. Up next, we'll bring Jack Parsons' downward spiral to a tragic end. And I got to warn you folks and you, Em, that it's pretty dramatic and it's pretty graphic. Oh, okay. I'm here for the drama. That I'll stay for. But I am nervous about the graphic part. Yeah, you should be. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Samsung, Expedia, and Sephora. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. All right, now we got to get into the sad part of the story, which is the demise of Jack Parsons. So by the early 50s, Jack Parsons had lost both his thriving rocketry career and a devoted life in the occult. So as a way to make money, he landed in the film industry, creating pyrotechnics and explosives for movies, which we've now learned from M is apparently kind of a trope, which I think is really fascinating, honestly. It's a really good one. I like that yeah, trope. It's really interesting. In 1952, he was about to head off for a planned trip after getting a very large order of explosives for a movie. And while mixing up the chemicals, explosives experts said Parsons dropped his concoction, reportedly including fulminate of mercury, and this concoction exploded. Apparently, it was such a loud and giant explosion that the blast was heard two miles away. Oh, my God. Wow. Right? Crazy. Parsons lost one of his arms and the skin from one side of his face, and he broke both legs. Just whoa, really unsettling and scary. Oh, my God. 
as we probably imagined, he died pretty quickly. He actually died less than 45 minutes later. Oh, my God. Wow. And just a thought that he was even alive for that long is really disturbing. Yeah, it's awful. And to put it in perspective, he was only 37 years old. So what? Yeah, he was young. He lived quite a life for only 37 years. I thought this man was like minimum 60. I was going to say, it sounds like he explored every possible career avenue in a very short period of time. Hey, he did it all. All right. He (laughs) He did live a whole life. He did it all. (laughs) It gets even sadder because Parson's mother heard the news of his death and she took her own life as a result. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, very tragic ending to the story. Um, But we will get into Parsons' legacy here. So as for science, the curator emeritus of the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, one of my favorite places, wrote in 2017 for the Smithsonian Magazine about Parsons' contributions to the space rocket industry. And then in 1972, the International Astronomical Union named a crater on the moon after him. So that's that's fun. fun. It's like when you buy a star for someone. Yeah, but also, like, you worked in stars, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, but, like, this is actually a real thing, I guess, that NASA recognizes. <laughs> he should get a moon crater named after him, and he should get a Hollywood star named after him for Wait that. Wait a second. That's pretty cool. And then a cult. How do we get those stars involved? Astrology? I don't know. We'll shop it. A new constellation, maybe? Oh! That'd be fun. Yeah, that way he's got a star everywhere he's been involved. That's fun. I like that for him. Well, various groups call him one of the most significant figures in spreading Tholema across North America, Hmm. which I'm not going to argue with. I mean, (laughs) I don't know too much about that whole field. but We don't have the stats on that. No, I don't have the stats, but I'm going to go ahead and trust them. And so that's the story of Jack Parsons. And I mean, what a story it is. Yeah. Wow. That's about the darkest ending to a rituals episode we've done so far, but... In the and maybe in the Babylon working episode, I was very focused on how wild some of this man's thinking was. Mm -hmm. But this was really a different spin on it. This was definitely, yeah, you kind of get a full picture of what was going on and Mm -hmm. how tragic his untimely demise was. Yeah, this is so random. But since he had two places in his lifetime on Millionaire's Row, Mm -hmm. which one do you think claims to be? Because I know there's the Parsonage, but do you think an- there's another house that's like really fighting for the title of like oh. Jack Parsons lived here? Or do you think they're hoping the Parsonage will just that's take the claim? That's what I'm wondering. I was about to say, I wonder if it depends on the decade. Like, I wonder if in the 80s, they were during Satanic Panic, they were like, we had nothing to do with that. <laughs> but now that everyone's kind of into the woo-woo stuff, they're uh-huh. like, oh, yeah, a lot of magic rituals were performed here. Right, right, they right. They put that on the Zillow page. I'm not sure. I do wonder. It could go both ways. It could be it like could. distance yourself from it or just uh, get an engraved parsonage sign for the front <laughs> lawn. I'm not really sure. <laughs> do you think... There could be a parsonage today. Or do you think there is one? Or maybe they're just secretive about it? I think it's it? called the Zach Bagans Haunted Museum. <laughs> I don't know if there is one. I mean, I am clearly not like trustworthy enough that I've been in on the secrets. Right. But they wouldn't let us in for sure. For I do sure. think it'd be cool if there was like, you know, like how this generation, all the content creators, they have like hype houses where they all yeah, like rent yeah, out yeah, one yeah. big house. I think all the true crime podcasters should just have one big spooky hype house. Do you have 
any idea how many like simply safe alarm systems would be installed. (laughs) It would actually be the safest hive house there ever was because we'd all be just so So paranoid, just like ragged with paranoia. There would also be like HelloFresh every night. I mean, it would be (laughs) such a riot. I think it'd be fun. No one steal the idea. I might write a script. Hang on. I think we'll all drink wine and go to bed by 10. It'll be like a lovely, a lovely place It'd to be. be. A good time. It'd be a good time. <laughs> I don't know if one exists today. I think if there was one, it would be, a, especially like how you said today's everyone, everyone's kind of in like the woo-woo stuff. Yeah. I feel like everyone, us included, would just want to go see it. I feel like it would turn into, by accident, like a tourist attraction. Yeah. Kind of like, I don't know the right word, but yeah, like kind of. I feel like it would lose some of its value if they were truly just trying to learn about something spiritually. But I will say I have heard from some people who worked in catering and some other kind of odd jobs in Los Angeles that there are quite a few really strange activities that some billionaires partake in and some strange rituals, so to speak, and parties and gatherings that, you know, you got to sign an NDA for if you want to attend. I've heard some of these things, too, but I've only heard about like Hollywood celebrities and some of the things that have been witnessed at parties. Mm -hmm. I don't know about any like group gatherings that all have the same intention. All I've heard is like wild stories that have happened at parties. I know of one that I'm not going to talk about because I don't want to get in trouble. But but you're going to text um, me, right? I'm sure I've told you this already anyway. This is like immediately <laughs> you'd be the first person I called if I ever heard about this. Okay, good. So I wonder if there are some, you know, like very elite groups that participate in like some strange activities. I'm well, there's not sure. also the, what did we talk about? That and that's why we drank the Bohemian something. The Bohemian Society, something, something like, like that. Something like that. That one was a weird one. That was that weird. That was one. weird too. Like, so you never know what these old men with money get up to, you know? It's just <laughs> like they're full of surprises. Nothing but time and money and wonder. You just, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? What a life that must be. Oy. Well, talk about a good episode, Christine. Thank you, Em. I had a blast going through it and, you know, imagining life in the parsonage with you. <laughs> <laughs> and only me and our and only several <laughs> true crime hosts that would also be joining in on the rent because it sounds expensive <laughs> yeah, on Millionaire's Row. Really expensive. We'll go to like, what's the under millionaire? It's like, um, Five-figure row. Oh, okay. <laughs> we are like middle class, make an okay living, still can't afford rent. We'll <laughs> the five-figure freeway. Bungalow. That's where we're the five-figure freeway. Yeah, we get a little studio above I five, and it's uh, it's loud. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Information on today's episode came from Strange Angel, The Otherworldly Life of Rocket Scientist John Whiteside Parsons by George Pendle, Sex and Rockets, The Occult World of Jack Parsons by John Carter and Robert Anton Wilson, LA Times, LAist, Vice, and Wired. Remember to follow Rituals on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. And you can listen to this and all other episodes of Rituals for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. You can find me at VM Schultz. And you can find me at Xteen Schieffer. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next week. Rituals is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Fact-checking by Lori Siegel. Research by Chelsea Wood. 
It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Jonathan Ratliff, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Christine Schieffer and M. Schultz. Listeners, the Halloween season is upon us, and at ParCast, that means giving you more tricks, treats, and terrifying specials to sink your teeth into. On Female Criminals, revisit the complicated lives and cryptic afterlives of four infamous names in the spine-tingling series, Women Who Haunt Us. On Serial Killers, Real Horror spotlights three of the most iconic horror films of all time and tells the true stories that inspired them. And on Mythical Monsters, it's the stuff of nightmares with a two-parter that brings you face-to-face with boogeymen. It's Halloween all month long on ParCast, so don't miss out. Listen to these specials for free only on Spotify. Spotify.